today, this uh, standalone message, not in a series, but it's just a single sermon that I hope is somewhat impactful, but it's, uh, we're titling it, uh, We Owe It to You. We owe it to you to talk about this today. We owe it to you for a variety of reasons. Some of you at home or in the house today, very likely, some of you will struggle to find sleep tonight. You'll either have trouble getting to sleep or you'll fall asleep and wake up from your sleep. The sleep wasn't deep because of your worry about this. Some of you have gotten divorced. May God's grace be over you now this morning. I speak that over you. Some of you have gotten divorced and in large part it has to do with this. Some of you are not married yet. You will get married and then you will get divorced because of this. Jesus was so concerned about it that he talked about it more than anything else. Jesus really wasn't worried about money, your money or mine. He doesn't need it. He wasn't fascinated with material things. He talked about it because he knows it's the number one competitor in your life with him. And it's the subject of money. You know this, Jesus was so concerned about the poor and calls us to be a people so concerned about the poor that one day he turned over a table or two in the temple demonstrating to us what we see today, and I'll get there in a moment, that religion oftentimes can be the culprit, that religious leaders in particular can go awry when it comes to this idea of money. We owe it to you to talk about it. A man named Paul, a trailblazer in the early church, a bright, brilliant man, said that he's called to preach the whole counsel of God. Let me talk about my tribe a little bit. I feel this burden, but sometimes men and women will stand up in front of church and our goal is to tickle ears, to gain popularity, to grow a crowd, to be a celebrity of some sorts, to have people like us. But yet we need to say hard things. And I believe today that I do want to touch your heart and I do want today to be a word of appreciation of invitation but also some aspects of this could be hard-hitting so if you're at home it's a lot easier to tune out if you're here it's sort of you know it's kind of difficult to get up and walk out people will notice you I might even call you out uh, just to make sure you're going to the bathroom if you get up but if you're at home don't check out let today hit you where it needs to hit you we owe it to you to talk about money there is this um crazy thing that something that has such a grip on our lives that has the ability to make or break your life uh, we get so little instruction about it have you ever thought about that in fact here's a question for your congregation today where do we survey says where do we learn how to handle money the number one the chief place where we learn to handle money is where any guesses from your parents from your parents, the number, and that's good or bad, right? That's, that's good or bad. I'll get to that maybe uh, toward the end of this, but that's where we learn to handle money. And in this world that we live in, it wants to squeeze us, to borrow from Eugene Peterson, Romans 12, the world wants to squeeze you and I into its mold. You ever find yourself there? You ever find yourself getting squeezed into the mold? Look, nobody's perfect, right? We're practicing. We're not perfect, we're in following Jesus. We're all taking steps forward. No one's going to get it right all the time. But you know, and, and listen, I'm borrowing from a guy who mentored me in college. There's not a more frustrating person in the world than someone who's got his foot in the church and his foot in the world. 
And the world wants to squeeze you into its mold. And here's what the world teaches you and tells you to do with money, with your money. It tells you to do this. If you're a note taker, this is your cue. This is really good. On the left side of the page, write this, the world's pattern. The world's pattern or the world's plan is this, threefold. Spend, save, give. The world's pattern, one more time, spend, save, give. God's pattern, same three words, same three words, but a different order. God's pattern is for you to give, save, and spend. Here's my goal for you, that this would be for you a step in this direction, that you would leave here with some principles and thoughts. Either you're reminded from what you've learned or you'll be instructed with something new today. I hope both. But you'll leave here today with this. This is my goal, that you will not wonder where your money goes, but you'll live in such a way that you'll tell your money where to go. And I want to ask you today, are you squeezed into the mold of the world? Spend, save, give. Are you willing to do things God's way, give, save, spend? I want my kids to hear this. And if you're 25, oh my goodness, what a day to tune in. If you're 45, what a good day to tune in. If you're 95, it's too late, but we're glad you're here. No, there's something for everybody in this. I really do believe that. But don't check out anybody. But the younger you are, oh my goodness. Because I don't know what your parents have modeled to you or taught you or what you picked up. But something that can make or break a life, we get so little instruction in. First Timothy chapter 6 uh, says this. 1 Timothy 6 verses 6 and 7 says this. You've heard this, I bet. But with godliness, but godliness, I'm sorry, with contentment is great gain. I'll read it one more time. I stumbled. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, you naked babies, and we can take nothing out of it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you content? A friend of mine is a developer at a seaside resort on the Atlantic, the Mid-Atlantic. He built a neighborhood, and one time when I was somewhat within a two to three hour vicinity years ago, I went to see this development. I would call it one of the nicest I've ever seen. And in this development with these nice homes, there are front porches that are right out of architect, architectural digest. But the odd thing that I sort of observed, and he reinforced this idea, that these homes and these porches in particular are so nice, the patio furniture, stuff, it probably costs more than my home here in Fondren. But here's the thing that he observed, and I observed in my brief time with him, nobody was on the front porch. All these homes, he's like, I just never see anybody on the front. You know, I, I heard their excitement when they were talking with the individual developers, but they're just not at home or they're not enjoying that time. How many of us are content? Which gets us to the point of our outline, the word lonely, a song by Justin Bieber. Listen just for a moment, if you will, the, the clean version of this new song. Everybody knows my name now, but something about it still feels strange. Looking in a mirror, trying to steady yourself and seeing somebody else And everything is not the same now It feels like all the lives have changed Maybe when I'm older it'll all calm down, but it's killing me now What if you had it all, but nobody to call Maybe then 
beyond the existential yodeling of Justin Bieber is you hear you hear for real the angst y'all be serious you hear you hear the angst you hear this uh you just know some songs you're listening to are autobiographical you don't need the content of the words you can you can hear it in the voice and what if you had everything what if you had it all but no one to call Justin Bieber's new song, Lonely, reminds me of what the next verse in 1 Timothy 6 says that I don't have on the screen, but I can quote it. It says, it says that, that if you want to get rich and you go after that, that it will lead you into various temptations and traps. Notice the word, temptations and traps into foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So we have to be careful who among us is content? Who in our world is content? Is it about having it all? Is that it? I want to give you three things this morning that will help you, that will help you back to our goal again, that you won't live your life and waste your life wondering where your money went, but you'll tell it where to go. And so here are three things to help you beginning today afresh, anew. The first one is this real simple principle. Start now. Start right now many years ago when our daughter who's in college now freshman she was a little girl and she noticed how hard her mom worked around the house i don't think she noticed how hard i worked but she noticed how hard susan worked and in a great just a great sweep of empathy she said to her mom you know i'm going to start helping with chores i'm going to do three chores a day and susan was delighted she told a young haley okay well good we'll start now and unload the dishwasher and Haley, little Haley said, I'll start tomorrow. And you know, that's, that's us. Tomorrow, this is a good idea, pastor. I'm gonna start tomorrow. Look at Proverbs 21 and verse 20. It says this to everybody today. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Remember God's plan that is different from the world's plan when it comes to your heart, your finances, but ultimately to your heart. The world is telling you, remember, to spend, to save, and then to give. And God is saying, give, save, and spend. Proverbs 3, 9, some of you know it. It says this in this ancient wisdom literature. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. I'm sorry, go back to Proverbs 3 if we have that up there. Proverbs 3, go back and up. Honor the Lord with your wealth, here we go, with the first fruits of all your crops. One more time. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
It brings us to the point of our outline this morning, uh, the group Bone Thugs and Harmony. Anybody remember them? Anybody my age uh, remember them? And there's a song that they had out years ago called The First Day of the Month. Anybody, can y'all, yeah, y'all gonna look it up later. Check out the, the, the clean version. We recommend those uh, at Fondren Church. But Bones, Thug, and Harmony sings about the first day of the month. And you remember this song, you can already guess it if you don't know it. But what, what's, what's the deal about the first day of the month? Oh, it's payday. And the first day of the month, what are they thinking? The world's pattern. The world's pattern, spin, baby, spin, baby, spin. And they have an idea of pleasure and self-indulgence. Bones, thugs, and harmony, the first day of the month. And here's what's different if you want to follow after God. To follow after God, to make a difference in the world. And by the way, we are changing as a society. In the 80s, 70s and 80s, when I sort of grew up or tried to grow up, uh, we were going after the big and the mega. And now survey shows of people in high school and college, if you ask them, what do you want to make of your life? The number one answer in, in a variety of different words is, any guesses? The number one answer, I want to make a difference. And if you want to make a difference, what an opportunity that you have to think about how you can give and how you can save and then how you can make an investment in spending. Scripture says the first. For as long as we've been married, Susan and I have had this commitment. We brought it into marriage. It's strengthened. We've been tempted to fall into different temptations and traps ourselves, but we've made it a priority. Here's what we believe. I want to pass this along to you. God deserves our best. God desires our best. And hear me now, this is a little tricky. God rewards our best. And our best is the first. A little bit overused illustration, but if you have someone coming over to your house over the holidays, this holidays, first of all, don't do that. The CDC says no. But in next year, when you have friends come over for the holidays, you're not going to serve them your leftovers. You're going to bring out the choice foods. You're going to cook something fresh for them, to love them, to welcome them, to be hospitable, to impress them maybe. You're not going to give them the leftovers, but that's the way that we treat God. That's our posture toward him. And God says, give the first. We spend, we so want to spend. Proverbs 21, remember that? We just gulp it down and we think about ourselves first. I remember not too long ago, I was in a store and I was standing close to a couple of women and I was overhearing their conversation. And one of them said to the other, I like your purse. And I knew, man, I'm, I just need to listen. I'm out of this conversation. She said, I like your purse. And one of the, 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 the other woman said, hey, I do too. And I, I got it on sale. I don't need it. I've got like 12 purses, but I got this. It was 40% off. I saved money. And I, with everything in me, I wanted to turn to her and say, ma'am, you didn't save money. You had 12 other, you didn't save money. It was on sale allegedly, but you didn't save money. Money went out from you. you. Money passed your hands. You spent, you didn't save. So start now with a plan. A plan to give God first. God desires it. God deserves it. And I believe God will reward it. Save. Set something aside before you go into all of your spending. So let's talk about that just a little bit. For the 25-year-old or the soon-to-be 25 or the one day you will be 25, consider this if you will. 
If you're 25 and you make $30,000 a year, if note taker, you may want to write this down, especially if you're in the age vicinity. If you make $30,000 a year at 25 years old and you make that for 30 years, now you probably don't want that. You probably want to raise somewhere along the way, maybe make a career change. But $30,000, we probably could agree, was pretty modest. No raises, no promotions, no new jobs, just $30,000 for 30 years. But if you do what scripture talks about and you give a tithe, you give 10% off the top, first fruits to God and honor him with that. And then you save 10% and let's for our sake of math and illustrative purposes, you put 10% each month into savings from that 30,000 that you're making into a mutual fund that draws a 7% interest. In in 30 years, you will have given $90,000 to the cause of Christ and saved $283,000. If you're 45, and look at this passage, I think we put it up a little early, but once again, Proverbs 13, we put it up and then I sort of dismissed it. Proverbs 13, 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. In other words, no windfall, no Powerball lottery, just little by little, you're putting money away. If you're 45 years old and you make $100,000 a year and you want to retire at 65, if you did the same thing with that $100,000 salary as a 45-year-old and you gave God 10% off the top and you saved 10%, you had the same wealth management friend and you gave them that 10% at a, in a mutual account that earned at 7%, you will have given $230,000 away for the cause of Christ and saved some $486,000. A little bit, a little bit, just bit by bit. The value of saving, hear me now, start now. If you have the mood to unload the dishwasher, do it right then. Jump into the game, start right now, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, certainly not next year. Start now. The second thing that I want to give you this morning is this idea of related to debt is attack your debt. Attack your debt, which brings us to the point in the outline of Chuck Norris and that paintball game from years ago. About 15 years ago, I got into a paintball, almost a league. It wasn't that formal or fancy, at least our team wasn't. But we went to a, a rural wooded hillside out deep into, into Rankin County, almost in um, another county. And one day I was told that we got some guys coming in to play us from a different county and they were older guys. And I thought, and I was, you know, a good bit younger, 15 years younger or more. And I thought, huh, these guys are in their 60s. That doesn't sound old to me anymore. But back then I was like, huh, we got these guys and they rolled up in a 15 passenger van. And they got out. I thought, we got these guys. And then one guy got out and he had on a Chuck Norris shirt. A Chuck Norris with a cat and a pizza or something. And I was like, man, he's getting in my head right now with this Chuck Norris. And he ended up being their guy. He ended up destroying our team. He ended up being everywhere. One time I thought I had him because he was on the attack and I went after him and I thought I had him spotted. He comes from the other side, puts a paintball gun, puts, puts it in my back. I bleed from this injury. Like blood is coming from my body because of Chuck Norris guy. There's something, Chuck Norris never dies, right? Apparently this guy doesn't. But here's the thing. Not only did he intimidate me with the Chuck Norris t-shirt with the cat and the pizza or whatever it was. It's been 15 years, but he, he was in my head. But here's the thing about his skill. He was well into his 60s, but he attacked. He was on the attack. And listen to what Proverbs 6 says about that. And it is 
in the context of debt, of money. It says this in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 5, free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. I told Nick and Parker that, Parker Fowler, that his name would be in a Bible verse today right after his baptism. Nick was very curious. There it is. There you are, Parker. Proverbs 6, 5, tribute to you today. Free yourself because when you're, when you're in debt, you're not free, are you? Which brings us to the point in the outline that reminds me of that time, that reminded me of that proverb. We were uh, going to some festival, and I've never been good with cash and sometimes struggled to find my wallet. My wallet was in Susan's car, not my truck, and we were calling each other, and we were pressed for time. We had to get in this event. I was like, how much money you got when you're there, and how much money? They take cash only. Don't you hate that? This was, you know, most people don't do that anymore, but cash only, and I just didn't have any, didn't have the wallet. So I run in, and uh, one of my sons is in the backseat. He's about four years old. He's in the backseat. I run in to get some money from his piggy bank. Well, he came in, had to go to the bathroom or something, or was wondering about me. He comes in, and it, it destroyed him. He sees me stealing his money. And I'm like, son, I'm, daddy's just borrowing your money. And he got, he's only four, and he got upset. Tears came to his eyes, and I was like, okay, we're in a hurry. I got to get money. This, this adds all it needs is four bucks to get in the event. I'm really doing it for you, and ultimately, this is my money. And he's upset. I was like, son, well, what about this? What about if I, I pay you back? But he didn't seem happy. He had, still had tears. Like, what if I pay you back more than what I'm borrowing from you? And he goes... <laughs> How much? I said, here's what. I'll tell you what. I'll, I'm taking four. I'm going to pay you back five. I'm going to pay you back five dollars. That was good enough. And we were, we were on the roll. And I thought to myself, man, I just borrowed four dollars. At a, a, I'm paying back 25% interest on a four dollar loan from my four-year-old. And it reminded me of what the scripture, we got to go back to that. It's Proverbs 26. Uh, a lot of you know this because you have at least a while tried to tolerate some Dave Ramsey. But it says this famously in the wisdom literature. If you can go back to Proverbs uh, 22. Maybe not. It says the rich. It talks about the rich and the poor and how famously, uh, we can't get it. That the, the borrower, no, back the other way, that the borrower is servant to the lender. That's true. What was true of me that day is true of us. Princeton Review said, in economics, said that uh, this was 2019, that the average American spends 130, 136% of what they make. So if I understand this right, when you make a dollar, you're spending a dollar 36. That means if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're getting into debt and you're learning the principle of, that I quoted from Proverbs that the borrower is servant to the lender and you're not free. You're not free. And scripture says to attack that debt, to attack it. Like that old guy that hopped out of the van and went after us. Attack it, play offense, and get after it. So if you're in this game and want to get out of this game and you want to apply Proverbs 6, 5, if you want to free yourself from the hand as, as a gazelle, now th doing a little discovery channel on you, what animal does the gazelle fear the most? Because gazelles can move, like they are fast, like DK Metcalf, kind of fast. What animal are they most afraid of? The cheetah. 
You guys watch a little Discovery, don't you? The cheetah, the cheetah can go from standing still in four leaps, it can be at 47 miles per hour. And when it gains its maximum speed, it can be close to 70 miles per hour. The gazelle is worried about the cheetah to put a little modern biology and science into Proverbs 6, 5. So if you're the gazelle, what advice should you live by? You can't outrun the cheetah, so what? Stay away from it. Stay away from it. Proverbs 6 is talking about your debt. So listen to me. If you're in college, if you're in college and you walk past where they set up those credit card things, right, and your parents didn't teach any better, and they offer you these amazing offers, right, and they talk about easy payments. Do you know they're never easy payments? They're never easy payments. Advertisers, marketers, psychologists come up with phrases like that. They offer you things. They're crafty and they're cunning, but they're never easy, and you won't be free of that. If you can't afford that car payment that you have, you need to free yourself from that. You are the gazelle and there is a cheetah and free yourself from that. So let me talk to you briefly about the snowball effect that one financial planner talks about and that we teach at Fondren Church. And by the way, we owe it to you to help you with your finances. And we wanna do that again by offering a class or two this next year. It may be an action step for you now to make a note of that and to sign up for that in 2021. But let's say your debt looks like this. A good, again, a good time to jot notes down. But let's say that your debt is you owe Lowe's $450 and there's a minimum payment of $50. Let's say you owe Target. Y'all stay out of Target. You owe Target $650 and the minimum payment is $40. Let's say you owe, you owe your parents $1,650 and let's say you have a car note of over $400. The wise financial people would tell you to do what? You need help. You need to free yourself from the hand. You need, to, you, need to, you need to break free. You need to avoid the snare and the trap. You're gonna, be, you're gonna be knocked down and kept down and you're mortgaging your future. So what do you do? You gotta attack that debt, Proverbs 6, 5. You have to get after it. The borrower, Proverbs 26, is servant to the lender. And so what do you do? Let me say to you what financial experts, I've heard them say, you need to find a couple hundred dollars a month. Pastor, where do I get the couple hundred dollars a month? Go find it get another job find an extra couple hundred dollars a month and so the snowball effect is you take remember our little our little notes you take lows first because you only owe 450 dollars at minimum payment of 50 you take that and you put that 200 dollars toward, toward that in a few months bye-bye lows close it out call and confirm get it in writing then you get after target stay out of target but pay them and you throw that 200, that extra $200 a month that you're sacrificing, right, by maybe not going to Starbucks or cutting off direct TV, et cetera, et cetera. And you put that extra couple hundred bucks now. You've knocked out Lowe's. Bye-bye, Lowe's. You hit up Target. If you can't afford that car payment, you sell that car. You've always got your parents. That's a whole different ballgame. But you tackle that debt and free yourself. So start now. Give save. Proverbs 13, 11, little by little over time. I've shown you two examples of the 25 and the 45 year old. I don't know if you make 30,000. I don't know if you make 100,000. I don't know where you are, but start now and get after it and attack your debt. And the third thing that I want to submit to you this morning is this, say no today so you can say yes tomorrow. Uh, when we were newlyweds, Susan and I uh, lived in South Florida and we uh, rented a place from a, 
a fun couple. Uh, candidly, they were a very wealthy couple. And we moved into their guest area and we loved it. There was a pool outside and it was really cool and we knew it wasn't going to be long. But for, for the first uh, couple of few months, we didn't have TV and we didn't have internet. Isn't that strange? And some of our friends, many of our friends were like, man, no TV and no internet. We were just trying to get a gauge of where we were financially and how much wedding money was still coming and what we needed to pay and uh, that sort of thing. We were looking at our first year ahead together. We didn't have TV or internet for just a little while. Our friends, what do you do? What do you do? I tried to talk Susan one time into, you know, telling her friends, oh yeah, you, you know, they're like, what do you do at night? And I wanted Susan to say, oh, you know what we do. You know what we do. And one time she told me, she said to me, uh, Robert, I, I don't want to lie. I don't want to lie. But listen, we saved. We saved. We, we said no to a couple things and we saved and it gave us a little bit of taste. It didn't last long. We got the TV, we got the internet, but we got a taste early in our marriage. If we say no to a few things now, we can say yes to more things later. Counselors and therapists that are my friends tell me that impulse control is one of the great train wrecks of life. Parents, watch your kids and teach them delayed gratification. If you make a lot of money, don't necessarily give your kids a lot of money. Teach them to say no today so they can be free to say yes tomorrow. In the spirit of that, let's look again at some famous words that Jesus said in Matthew 6. He said this, and I know that you've heard it. He said this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now have a savings account, that's different where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now, store it up. So here's the interesting thing that Jesus taught. One time, it was an, an early service in the gym. Y'all remember when we used to have a worship service in the gym and the sanctuary? And it was in the gym, and I was quoting, I was preaching about the heart. I was saying, I was just rattling off some Bible verses from memory about the heart. And I, in and I, and, and that service, I got it right in the 11th, but the 9.30, I said, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And one of my friends who teaches the financial class at Fondren Church, he's one of my best friends, he corrected me. He had the gall to send a note to his pastor, say, hey, RG, good message, a mediocre sermon, but uh, you you know, here, you got this wrong. You said this, but it's really this. And you know what? I appreciate his correction. Tyler Hendricks, he's back there. I love and appreciate Tyler. Good friend, good dude. But hey, it was good for me to hear that because it wasn't just a word that I flipped. It's like important theology. It's important theology because we think, oh, your heart's there, then your money's going to fall. Don't you think that? Oh, if my heart's engaged in this, then I'm just going to naturally give. Guess what? No. Jesus had it right. You put your money first and then your heart flows. These, these illustrations will fall a little bit short, but stay with me. Let's say that you invest in a stock. You ever done that? You pick a stock and you invest in it. What's going to happen after you invest in that stock? You're going to start learning about the company. You probably did a little bit of research. You probably did it because a friend told you to, uh, somebody smarter, wiser than you, but you, you, you buy a stock. You're going to find out about the company. If you happen to go by the company's headquarters, you're going to notice it. You're going to find out about the CEO. You're going to get the app and you're going to look at the app. You're going to think about that stock and think about that company. Why? Because you put your money there. If you get a Ford F-150, you're going to start noticing Ford F-150s. That's a category that you have because you bought a Ford F-150. Ever wonder why teenagers don't watch HGTV? You know, you're not going to go home and see your, it's very rare, very rare that you, you would see this, but teenagers, now we do, right? We, I do. We, we, adults, 
apparently love HGTV, but te- teenagers don't want because they don't have any money in the house. It's your money in the house that they live in. But they get out of college and several years later, maybe get a house, right? One of them looks at each other in their newer home and they say, what do you want to do today on this leisurely Saturday? And then one of them says, hey, let's go to that parade of homes. Suddenly they're interested in houses and decor and curb appeal and HGTV because their money is there. And what Jesus taught in Matthew 6 is really true. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To not live a frustrating life, to to not have a foot in the world and a foot in the church, we need to go first with our money and watch our heart follow that. To grow deeper into God's heart of worship, of fellowship, of service in our world, we put our money first, we invest in it. Jesus would go on to say this in Matthew 6. I bet you know both of these. Many of you know both of these teachings about don't store up for yourselves the difference between earthly uh, and eternal things. And then you probably have heard this, but you may not have known that they're in the same sermon. And Jesus makes this startling connection. Here's what he says in the latter part in verse 28 to 33. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. This is when he gets in our business. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. Put your treasure there. And here's the thing, whatever is the source of your security will become the greatest point of your anxiety. We, uh, years ago at a house in a reservoir, we bought a white couch. We had little kids and we bought a white couch. And after we got the white couch that we paid a lot of money for, man, we loved the white couch. I was proud of the white couch. We invited more people over to see the white couch. But the kids would, you know what, little kids, you know what they want to do? Play on the couch eat on the couch, fight and wrestle on the couch. And we told them, no, you you don't eat on it. No, that's a new couch. No, no, no. And we began to correct them. We began to send them out of the room. We we beat them down about the white couch because they they were messing up my couch. I paid a lot of money for that. I liked the couch. And one day, my oldest, when he was little bitty, he he just blurted out. He had this internal angst. He just blurted out. He goes, this couch is ruining my life. And you know, I felt the same way. And Jesus is right. If your investment is here in earthly stuff, that's where your heart goes. And that's where your worries happen. But if your investment is in eternity, you know what? Less worry. Less stress. Because you realize that you are investing in eternity. Which brings us to the point in the illustration where I want you to imagine that there is a heaven. It's easy if you try. Imagine that there's a heaven and that you've been making investments. That whether your parents taught you when you were young, and by the way, I'm going to say this real quick. It's a word of appreciation. One of the ways, one of the ways God has blessed Fondren Church is that from the beginning nine plus years ago, we had a number of young people, single people and young families who learned about tithing from their parents. And they brought it with them. 
And I don't look at giving anymore, who gives what or whatever, but I remember being impressed by some young folks who would give. And every time I talk about giving in the church, I always say this, uh, everybody's gift is needed no matter the amount. Everybody's gift is needed, but everybody needs to give. And we've been blessed with that. But imagine there's a heaven. Imagine you get to heaven and somebody comes up to you and they say to you, hey, I was a kid in a rough neighborhood. My dad left me when we were really young and I was raised by a single mom and she worked a couple of jobs. And when I was in middle school, I got in with the wrong crowd, crime and drugs and gang initiation. I had to pop someone. I had to hurt someone. And one day, someone invited me to open gym. And I got into a different crowd. I noticed some some guys, some fellas and they didn't exactly use the same language and they were really kind and they, they remembered my name and they invited me back. And when I didn't show up to open gym, they called me to see where I was. They checked on me and they actually helped me out and they shared Jesus with me. And they told me there was a better way. And I want to tell you, I want to say thank you for giving to that church that opened up their gym. Imagine there's a heaven. It's easy if you do. Imagine there's a Someone who walks up to you and says, I was 42 and I lost my job in the coronavirus global pandemic. I was furloughed and then they fired me. And man, it led to a lot of pain and loss. I was lonely and isolated. The government told me to shelter in place. I didn't know what it meant. I just, I just, I isolated and I numbed myself through, through pornography and, and, and through drugs. And I, I went to alcohol and it began to master me and control me. And I was at the end of myself. But someone spoke to me at church. I, I don't even know why I came that day. I was at the end of myself. But someone spoke to me and they invited me in. And they invited me into their group, into their community. Within a few months, I had refrigerator rights at their house. We were sharing life. I got into this recovery group. They pointed me the way to to freedom and sobriety. I had a few bumps and bruises along the way, but I got free. I got free. Thank you for investing in that church. Imagine there's a heaven. It's easy if you try and someone who you never met comes and thanks you because they were at one point a young girl in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And they had no home. It wasn't a story of a dad who left early and a mom who worked two jobs. They were essentially born on the streets and lived in garbage heaps. I've seen it. And this person who approaches you in heaven thanks you because she was sold and she was used and abused. Man after man took advantage of her since she was a little girl. Used her and spit her out. But she stumbled into a place called Hard Places. And her life changed with the good news of the gospel. That no matter what you've been through, there is a Savior who created you, who loved you, and can move you into freedom. Thank you. That is what Jesus is saying. Just as sure as we can today talk about investment in savings and what it will add up to. When you become the person that's making $30,000 a year with never a raise and over time, year after year, decade after decade, you invest 90 plus thousand in the cause of Christ. That, my friend, is storing up treasures in heaven. I want to ask you today, where can you be today? What could be something for you? Maybe it's to sign up for the class. Maybe you want to say to Fondren Church, uh, look, whether we're your faith family or not, we can help you this new year. Maybe you want to say, hey, that class you've started or try to get off the ground, I want to be in that. I want to be in that. I need help with this.
Maybe today you just need to hear me say, thank you. And Fondren Church, if you give here, can I say to you, thank you. Your impact is great through your giving together as we grow and we give together. You may be today someone that God has really blessed and you're gonna have the choice to raise your standard of living, to spoil your kids and live lavishly, or you'll have an opportunity to give. So instead of raising your standard of living, you could raise your standard of giving. I wanna issue that challenge today. I talked to a friend who called me this week, said, Robert, where are we on the budget for 2020? We're moving ahead. We got a shot to make budget. And as we exceed budget, there'll be manifold blessings. I know, I know where some of you are today. I know the skepticism. I know the doubt. And in some ways we've earned it. There is a reality out there on Instagram called Preacher Sneakers. Have you ever heard of this? Preacher Sneakers is an Instagram account that has a ton of followers and they get pictures Uh, It's pictures that the church posted or the pastor posted. It's his wardrobe. Typically, it's the pastors who don't think khakis are cool. It's the pastor who wears the ripped jeans and the really expensive shoes and the leather jackets and the low-cut t-shirts. The celebrity pastor that always ends up in a scandal where thousands of people are always wondering, oh, there was a scandal, but oh my goodness, why wasn't there financial transparency? And so there is the reality that we live in today of preacher sneakers. Here's what I want to say today. I want to play as we move into the future, as the church needs to grow into purity and into transparency. I want to play offense a little bit and say to you, we are working hard so that you would trust us as a church, that we would live humbly and simply and we would be lean. We would, we would, you would be able, if you invest here or praying about investing here, any gift, small or large, or consistently becoming a first-time giver, that you, that we would be imperfect people, flawed people, but we'd be worthy of your trust that you would see this as, as potentially the most strategic investment that you can make. So when I play offense, here's what I'm saying. I think we're growing tired and I think the church needs to be purified of some of the of what we're doing wrong when it comes to money because one can hurt the other to quote a buddy of mine i think speaks well on this he writes something called make pastors uncool again pastors shouldn't be rock stars yeah i said it a rock star promotes himself builds his brand entertains people it's his job a pastor is supposed to lay his life down for his sheep He serves, he protects, he equips the saints for the work of the ministry. So why does it seem like many of our celebrity pastors are obsessively self-promoting, building their own brands, protecting themselves by never preaching or teaching? Anything would put them in Twitter prison. Yes, it's sad and devastating to watch our leaders fall into sin, but when the foundation is built so poorly, it shouldn't be all that surprising. Many Christians have been saying this for years, and it's past time that I join them. I'm tired of celebrity pastors. Pastors aren't supposed to be cool. They're not supposed to be fashion trendsetters. We're all called to decrease that Christ would increase both in our hearts and in our lives. John 3.30 is the biblical reference. His fame should be known, not ours. Celebrity pastors, get out of the way. You're hogging the spotlight by making yourself the story. We need to speak against this because it's happening time and time again, and it's one of the chief reasons people are leaving the church and not coming back. We've structured our church to where, honestly, I feel the love. 
I feel the love. I feel that there are people who come around us and care for us. They ask about our family and our well-being, whether it's time off or any financial struggle that we might have, and they check on us and help provide for us. But I want to say this. I love this, and I'm proud of this if you can't tell, but our, our, here's how our Fonder Church is structured. You can sniff around if you want more, but we're structured in a way if more money comes in, you know what? We don't get bigger salaries based on money that comes in. Here's, here's what I want to make a promise. This is what we do. If more money comes in, you know, what, you know what the result is? More ministry. If you give more money here, there's more ministry. So today, as we wind toward home, let me ask you. Let me ask you, does Christ have your heart? It's so easy for us to go, well, you know, he's got my time. I'm, I'm here today, preacher. I mean, it's COVID's going on. I came to church because I feel sorry for you. You don't want to preach to people in their living room. So I came to church. Hey, I'm doing this. I'm in the small group. You know, I went to the marriage thing. I'm doing, you know, but not, not, I, I, I give you my time, but not, I'm holding on to this. And I want to say what Jesus has said. He desires for you to surrender that as well. What would it look like for you? if you need to, to reverse the pattern of your living. That you wouldn't spend, save just a little and give. <laughs> There's never any left over if you live that way. But what would it look like for you to give and to save and then to spend? Can you trust Him with that? I want to close as the worship team comes up to finish out our, our time together. I want to quickly show you a video that delighted me as a father, as a parent. And so I want to close on a note of not hitting you hard or not making you feel um, like we're trying to get something out of you. I want you to think about giving and generosity. All right, so you know what we teach? We teach what the Bible teaches. The tithe is not, that's the starting point, not the end result. The starting point, not the end result, is the tithe. But instead of this being a duty or an obligation or some guilt, I just I want to I want to show you a video that delighted me because it's a father delighting in his son, and I think gives us a picture of what I want to close on. Take a look, if you will, at this video of a proud dad rejoicing with his son. I made the team. I made the team. I made the team. He made the middle school basketball team, man. What? that gets me that gets me by the way just on one level parents step up your game 
fathers, step up your game. But a distorted view of our Heavenly Father is, a, is the beginning of a thousand other evils. And so I just want to close right there. We have a Heavenly Father who rejoices over us and who's awfully proud of us when we get on the team and when we excel in the grace of giving. Let it be an act of worship. Whatever step you take in giving, let it be an act of worship to a father who sees and knows and rejoices over you. Let's stand and let's sing.